Our scripture lesson is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew, uh, chapter 20, verse 1 through verse 16. Matthew, chapter 20, verse 1 through 16. By the way, it's printed for you there in your uh, bulletin. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came, and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious? because I am generous. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. May God bless to our understanding this important reading from his word. Let us pray. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the freedoms which we experience in this land. We pray that you will help us to use our freedoms with responsibility. We pray that you will enrich us by your grace, your amazing grace, to which we have already heard abundant testimony this morning. We pray that you will help us to be faithful and active Christians, showing the fruits of repentance in our daily life, and showing the blessing of the grace and favor which you extend. We ask that you will accept the gifts which we bring, and we pray that this offering shall be used for your glory. 
and that you will bless us now as we study your word. Help us to inwardly digest it and then to put it into practice in our daily walk. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Early morning telephone call from Nathan in Bangladesh. They're in a different time zone. And uh, I was just reading a scripture up here that says that in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And I feel like I'm dreaming. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get much sleep. Uh, we are uh, grateful uh, for your prayers uh, for Nathan and for Dr. Coddington and what they're doing there. Uh, I also want to show you from this passage of Scripture, I hope, uh, something that will be useful in your own walk and also will illustrate something that Bill has given testimony to already. What he has testified to is the amazing grace that a change that Jesus Christ makes in our lives. One of my favorite quotations from an artist is from Vincent Van Gogh. And in it, he says this about Jesus Christ. Christ alone lived serenely as a greater artist than all other artists, dispensing with marble and clay as well as color, working in living flesh. This matchless artist, hardly to be conceived of by the obtuse instruments of our modern, nervous, stupefied brains, made neither statues nor pictures nor books. He loudly proclaimed that he made living men immortal. Serious, especially because it is the truth. Our Lord Jesus Christ came teaching and preaching repentance. He had, in this last uh, week of his life, The time that Palm Sunday begins, begin to set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem to accomplish the purpose for which he had come into this world, which was to seek and to save the lost by paying the price for our salvation on the cross. On the way to the cross, a number of interesting episodes took place. There were people with whom he came in contact and interchanges with others. There was a rich young man whose encounter with Jesus makes the setting for the parable which I read about the laborers in the vineyard. He saw in Jesus a quality of life for which his heart yearned. And in the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, you will see toward the end of that chapter this encounter of the rich young ruler with Jesus. He came in enthusiasm running to Jesus, saying to him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? When Jesus replied, he said, Why are you asking me? There is only one who is good, that is God. 
if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, all these things kept. What am I still lacking? If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he gives a little parable. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were astonished, and they said to him, Who then can be saved? Looking upon them, Jesus said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, Behold, we've left everything in following you. What then shall there be? And then Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, who have followed me in the generation when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. Now here it comes. But many. He didn't say any. He said many. But many who are first will be last. And the last will be first. And then in between this and the repetition again, of that statement in a slightly different form in verse 16 of chapter 20. He speaks this parable of the workers in the vineyard. Now this is what we want to understand. There are some lessons here for And the first lesson that comes to us is about this landowner. This is a different landowner from any landowner that you ever heard anything about. This is a landowner whose vineyard is used for the good of those who are going to work in it and for those who have an opportunity. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. I can remember as a boy in the depression in East Texas going to what we call the market square. This was a place where farmers would come and hire laborers to work in their fields for a day. They were gathering in the fruits about this time of the year in August, and they needed to hire people to pick tomatoes or cucumbers, a little later cotton, and so they would a big flatbed truck as a rule and come into the market square they would survey the, those of us who had gathered there to try to get a job for the day. 
And they'll say, I'll take you, and I'll take you, and you. And I can remember how we used to go early to get there, hoping that we would get hired for the day. And what a blessing it was to be picked. And what joy you felt when you got on that truck and began to drive out to a field where you're going to have to work all day long. But it was hard to get a job. And it was a very wonderful experience to be employed and to get to work that day. It's funny how those memories keep coming back now. Those of us who went through some uh, hard times in the Depression, and especially those of us who were in the rustic areas of East Texas, and let me tell you, it's rustic where I, <laughs> I came from. My brother used to say that we lived so far back in the woods that we used possums for house cats and hoot owls for chickens. <laughs> we, we, we were there. Well, anyway, this is the type of laborer, the day laborer who works for a day in his field. Well, the first laborers who were hired were hired at 6 o'clock. Just for 6 o'clock, they were to go into the vineyard, and they were to work for what is called in our translation in the bulletin a denarius. This is a coin that was paid for a day's, wait, a day's work. And then, a little later on, this strange landowner comes back at about 9 o'clock. And when he comes at 9 o'clock, he sees others standing idle in the marketplace. And so he says to them, You two, go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Those are the 9 o'clock laborers. And again, he went out at about the 6th hour. That would be 12 o'clock noon. And then the ninth hour, that's the afternoon. And then the eleventh hour, one hour before quitting time. And at the eleventh hour, he still found people standing idle. And he says, why have you been here all day long? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you too go into the vineyard. Then when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group first. Those that were hired and who worked only an hour, those, those who had worked only an hour received the coin, which was a whole day's wage. Well, these people who had been employed at 6 o'clock in the morning saw those who had worked only an hour really in the school of the late afternoon. And they wondered what was taking place. And we are told here that they grumbled at the landowner. They grumbled. Now, this grumbling has never left. And that's what Peter was doing. Peter was saying to the Lord, we're not like this rich young guy who turned his back on you. But we left our boats and our nets and we followed you. 
What are we going to have? What are we going to have? It's interesting that Jesus didn't seek to strike a bargain with that rich young ruler. I've often thought with the type of Christianity that's very popular in America today, we would have captured him very quick to think that he was rich and he was young and he was He had power, he had youth, he had wealth. Think of what a testimony that would have been. But Jesus didn't say, hey, come back. I'll make a deal. You don't have to give everything away. Just give me 20% or 50% or 75%. I'll make a deal with you. He doesn't deal that way. It takes all of us. We must give all of ourselves that we know how to as much of him as we understand. The rich young man was not willing to pay the price. I often try to point out when I get to this point, it says go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. The church has always been mad that he didn't say give it to the church. Uh, but he said give it to the poor. Uh, and why did he say this? Because this person had made an idol out of his wealth. That's why. Jesus looked at him and Mark tells us that his heart went out to him and that he loved him. And because he loved him, he wanted the one thing that stood in his way taken out of his way. And so when he was not willing to pay that price and went away, Jesus made his statement about how difficult it was for those who put so much stock in riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. And now this reversed a good bit of the thinking that his disciples would have had. They would have thought, uh, like that man in Fiddler on, a Wo uh, Fiddler on the Roof, if you saw that, there's a song, I wish I were a wealthy man. And it says, I know it's no curse to be poor, but it's so much nicer to be wealthy. Uh, and I wish I were a wealthy man. That's an interesting course. Well, these disciples thought that this was a special favor of God to have received all of this wealth. Some old Puritan commentators said that if money had been such a blessing, God wouldn't have given his enemies so much of it. Uh, but they wanted to learn at this point that, uh, that God doesn't look at things the way we do. His ways are not our ways. And that whatever we have must be held under his guidance, not ours. We must let go of it and let him direct it, or else it will take us down to hell. And because he loved him, he said, go and sell it and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And he was going to the cross. Well, when Peter grumbles about this and says, what will we have? I used to think Peter was expressing my sentiments exactly. And now I've come to the conclusion that this is not really a compliment on either Peter or me. Because the attitude that's being condemned here is the attitude that we follow God to, to get some sort of blessing that comes there. And you're going to get this on the tea tonight. It's there every week all the time that if you give this money God's going to give you so much back 
That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what he teaches right here. Beware of that attitude. The attitude that says, I started to tithe, and as a result of tithing, now i got all this money. It doesn't always work that way. I heard about one man who came forward in a meeting where they were having a stewardship service, and he said that in the Depression he was going broke, and that he decided that God wanted him to tithe, so uh, he took this money that he had, which was all the money that he had, and he put it into the collection plate that week, and then the following week he started making more money, and now he was a millionaire. And some old lady in the congregation stood up and said, I dare you to do it again. <laughs> that's, that's that being attitude. So that this is what uh, they're going to get at here. You see, the Lord of the harvest is going to come and pay his work. And when he comes and pays, and he pays those who worked only an hour as much as those who worked all day, that's a surprise. But that's the grace, the amazing grace of God. It's a surprise. The thief that's nailed on the cross can only look at Jesus and say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that's one man that the Savior took home with him to heaven. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. This is the one who looked at all of the rich men casting their money into the trumpet-shaped things at the temple and saw one poor little woman who made her way through the crowd and sneaked up and dropped in her two little tiny copper coins. And Jesus said she gave more than everyone. This is the one who watches the fifth little sparrow in its flight. And when it falls, he says, God watches that sparrow. And so the disciples are learning a lesson here. And Peter is to learn that he is not to be like this grumbling, pharisaical attitude. The attitude that the elder brother had when the younger brother came home and the father had him back safe and sound. And you remember how he said to uh, his father, I've served you all this time, and yet you never gave me a fee. And here this son of yours, he didn't say this brother of mine, he said this son of yours has come back, and you've made a celebration for him. He was surprised by the joy of the Father over this one who had come back. That's great. It's Bill Wilson, up in his years and later life, the opportunity to come to the Lord. That's what moves him to tears, that God's amazing grace will permit us to come to him then. This astonishes the disciples, and it surprises them that this should happen here, that he's going to give these people the same wage that those who've worked all day long are going to get. Well, I love this. I love it very, very much. 
because it shows the great joy and surprise and delight and amazement that comes with this gracious offer of God to salvation. It tells us that it's never too late until it's too late. Until life is finished. The other day, came into my office, right in the middle of a conversation, and said, will you go with me to Greenville? Because Gary Drake is dying. Gary Drake is a black man. I don't even know if he'll be alive when we get there. The doctors have said, come now. And so I got in the car with two people and drove quickly to Greenville, went into a hospital room and looked at a black man with oxygen into his nostrils who was conscious and who recognized me. And I asked Gary if he was trusting in Jesus, and he said that he was. I read him passages about heaven. I read him from the 14th of John. I read to him the other things that would come to mind. And I stooped over and kissed him on his forehead and knelt down by his bed and prayed. About 48 hours later, his life in this world was gone. Gary is no second-class citizen. He's in the best company of the universe. Because of Jesus Christ and the merit that he won for him on the cross, and that merit and that grace comes to us. And God means for us to show that love to other people. And when Peter grumbles that we left everything and followed you, what therefore shall we have? He was illustrating the spirit of Jonah who didn't want to see Nineveh repent. He was illustrating the spirit of the Pharisees who were angry at Jesus because he went to the harlot and to the despised tax collectors and called them to salvation. And he is saying to you and me, you do not want that elder brotherly attitude that greets someone else. It shows me that you can be a long, long time in the church hanging around the Bibles and the hymn books and Christian people and claiming to walk with the Lord and not even know his mind. Does anyone ever speak to you of someone making an invidious comparison? Invidious is just an old, is just a new word for what the old King James English calls an evil eye. So, the Lord of the vineyard says, Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? I want to give to this one who has come last, just as I gave to the first. You see, the Lord of that vineyard knew that all of us need that coin, which is full salvation. 
you can figure out one-twelfth of a denarius. There was a coin that was called for it. But you can't figure out one-twelfth of the love of God. And those of us who have had the privilege of coming to him earlier in life have the joy of being with our Master all day long and of learning his attitude. And there's a great old hymn that we used to sing in East Texas. I was trying to recall the name of it, but I remember a line that says, Just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. Isn't that a wonderful attitude? Just one glimpse of glory will the toils of life repay. And so it means that we can serve here, and those who are working out in Bangladesh or Africa or wherever are serving too. But that God calls us to identify with this King and his love for those who need salvation and all of us need it. And then to show that love to others. This to me is the principle lesson from this parable. And this is the lesson, too, that it's never too late, as long as it's not too late. You still have life and breath, and you can give your heart to Jesus Christ just now or resolve in your heart to make better use of the days and the opportunities that you have left in serving him. He changes as Vincent van Gogh said, and makes us immortal in him. Let us pray. O oh God, our Father, we thank you for the testimony to this, to your grace, which we have heard about this day. In the life of a physician and a soldier, and we thank you for this parable. We thank you for the love of Jesus Christ that shines through it, the tough love that won't let the all-day-long workers bully him. And then the good and kind and generous love that surprises the 11th-hour workers, people who feel like their lives have been all messed up, a lost cause. And that Jesus Christ shows us that he's able to hire us. Lord, I don't know where people are here today in this sanctuary, but I have a feeling that right here today there are people at every stage of life that we read about in this story, some at six in the morning, some at nine noon, some at three, some with just an hour left. Moms and dads and young people and grandmothers and grandfathers, You've met the king, and you know that he invites you to come and work. If you've never asked for his love, and if you've never asked for help to get rid of all the adriftness that caused you to get to the 11th hour without any job, then why not respond? And just now, enter his vineyard. Use your own language. Ask for his help in your own way. Say yes 
to the offer that he's made in this parable. And wherever you are in the line of workers, maybe you're an all-day worker, it's just too grouchy, will ask for his help so that you can rejoice with the 11th hour workers coming in right now in your heart in this moment of silence. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are Lord of the vineyard with so many rich and wonderful surprises for each of us. Draw us into your vineyard and help us to work faithfully and joyfully through Jesus Christ our Lord.